The scripture reading this morning is John 1, 1 through 5, beginning on page 862 of the Pew Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. The Gospel of the Lord. For being here today. Oh, I'm so sorry. Before I start, I have to do this. I have to acknowledge some super friends that are here this morning with us. Um, these friends are from the West Michigan area, and some time ago, there was a guy that, um, that she was working with, uh, you know, just a friend at work that they invested in, and that person gave their lives to Christ based on the testimony that he saw in their lives and the way they lived it out with such authenticity. Uh, he surrendered his life to Christ, and then some years later, he became a pastor. Just my friends, Ron and Lori Cook, if you just throw a meaty mitt up and just let them wave to you, they'll be so sweet. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Back to the Word. In the beginning... In the beginning, we are here at the beginning of the Advent season, having just read the first five verses of John chapter 1. And there's such a richness to that text, I cannot wait to dig into it more and give you more context of all the wonderful things that he says about who Jesus is that, that literally expand our sense of the Christmas story. But before we get to that, I want to just reflect on these three words that Start this whole Gospel of John off in the beginning. Such powerful words there in the Word of God, present at the very beginning of the story in Genesis 1, and now reflected here again in John chapter 1. In the beginning, I believe with this, John is inspired by the Holy Spirit to communicate to us a story of hope a story of hope that God is always offering a new beginning. You could frame that through the rest of the gospel. Keep that in your mind. God always offers a new beginning. That is the hope, I believe, in which John is representing here. We are beginning a series this morning. It's a four-week series for Advent called Prologue. Prologue is the Advent season as we're looking at John chapter 1, and I'm so thankful to be here with you this morning to get it started. A prologue, as many of you know, if you read you know, books, is the, the chapter before the main part of the book. It's the one you read that has usually like the summary in it. I'm, I'm starting to read a, a book with a friend and, and meet over lunch and discuss it, and, and in that book there's a lot of instruction, several chapters, but it began with a prologue, and the prologue is like the setup. It's the things you need to know before you engage the meat of the, of the book. It's a reminder, a reflection on what you're about to read, and it sets up the context of the work so that we can appreciate what we're about to experience in this. So it's the prologue. And so we're looking at this text here. As we, what do we need to know before we fully and sufficiently celebrate the Christmas story, the birth of the Messiah, the baby Jesus, what do we need to know? What do we need to have in our heads and our hearts before we get to that place 
uh, behold, there's the baby in the manger. This is why John begins in a different way. In John's gospel, there is no baby in a manger. There is no wise men uh, walking the streets. There is no King Herod. He doesn't start there. There's a couple reasons why he might do that. His, his gospel might have been different. I mean, first, certainly he wrote in obedience to the Holy Spirit what you know, God had given him to write. But also, I think there's a point here of him wanting to ha- us to have a prologue, a context, a greater understanding to what this Christmas story really means. Otherwise, we can get kind of distracted by some of the imagery, manger, and the stories that we know so well and we will celebrate so richly. This prologue is here so we can understand that this coming of Jesus, that he's the Word of God, made flesh, the light of God, the Messiah, the Savior of all people. And I think before we get to the child born in a manger, John just says, hey, wait, let's, let's make sure we have a context for what we're about to discuss here in the birth and life, ministry, death, and resurrection of this one we know as Jesus. You know, it's uh, kind of interesting in a season right now because, you know, having just moved here and now we're so thankful that our house is being, you know, redone and those of you who shared your stories about living through remodel in your house and, you know, just like we're eating, you know, we're eating dinner in the the closet together, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, But we had to break the news to our kids this week, you know, actually, we're probably not going to, we cannot do the Christmas, you know, big decos and all that stuff that's out. And of course, they took it so well. No, shock and awe, for sure. Like, what? No Christmas? No, there, there's going to be Christmas. It just may not have all the, you know, extra trimmings because we don't even know where those boxes are now that I think about it. But I think that in this season, too, God is calling me as well, and perhaps our family, and perhaps you as well, by extension, to focus on Jesus and who he is as much as we might enjoy and look at the traditions, Okay? So as we dig into this book, let me remind you again that in this prologue, John chapter 1, in the beginning, there's a hope that God wants to communicate that there's a new beginning that God always offers to each one of us. So looking back at the text here, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word. What's interesting about this passage, too, is the verbs, the was, and what they are, if you read uh, specifically, they are past tense, but past tense with a continuing resonance. Like, they happen, but it's happening. They're, they're going on, but it's, it happened, but it's still happening. And so, in the beginning, kind of was, is the Word, and the Word was, is with God, and the Word was, is God, and He was, is there in the beginning. What John is focusing, focusing us on today is the Word of God, the, the Word of God. Theologically, this is an interesting and a beautiful way to start that in the beginning, yes, was the Word. And the Word was, is with God, and the Word was, is God. Wait, what? God's words were with him there? His words are actually God himself? What John is opening us up to automatically right off the top is this concept of the Laga, the Laga of God, something that the people of God had pursued throughout the entire story of the scriptures. They had sought for God's word. They wanted to know who he is. So when he reflects on this idea of logos, what he's talking about is the wisdom of God, 
the personality of God, God's direction, His work. Who is He? We know Him by His Word, His commands. Is another way to consider the logos. Also the promises of God, the things that they trusted God, they wanted to know, by His Word. And so as John opens up this idea, he's saying the logos, the personality, the wisdom of God, His commands, His promises, His assurance, His love, was there with Him. And that Word of God is also one with God and was there in the beginning, the spoken Word of God. He goes on to explain that it was there in the beginning with him always. This word of God was there. What he's communicating here is that everything that we've ever wanted to know about God himself, who is he, where is he, what is he about, everything we've ever wanted to know about God is found fully and absolutely in Christ. Already off to a huge start in this prologue. Everything we've ever wanted to know about the God of all creation, the God of the universe, can be found fully and absolutely in Christ. And this is a thread, an idea, that John will carry on through the book. And my hope is that you'd be inspired to read John, the Gospel of John, in this next season to see how he weaves this theme in constantly that there's no mistaking Jesus was actually not just the, the, the Hebrew Messiah. He was God himself. He weaves that thread throughout the book. It's one of the reasons that he'll share many times that the Pharisees came to hate on Jesus. Because they're like, wait a minute, you think like you're God. Or other times that Jesus was talking to them and he was saying, oh, you know, before Father Abraham was, before he even lived, oh, I am. I've been there the whole time. And they picked up stones and they were ready to kill him. This thread that goes on through the book of John, this idea that Jesus was more than just the local Messiah, that he truly was God there present with him, the Logos, the Word of God, concludes with Thomas, the one who doubted, the one who wasn't quite sure all the time. In chapter 20, verse 28, falls to his knees and he says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. It's exciting. And he weaves that all the way through there, that he and the Father are one. So friends, what does that tell us in this passage here that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God? One, that everything we ever wanted to know about God is found fully and absolutely in Christ. And to lower Jesus to any less than that is to not know him at all. Any work of trying to lower Jesus to something less then God himself is to not understand him or know him at all. But he's not done. Verses 3 and 4, he continues as he says, All things, all things then, came into being through him, through this word. And without him, there's not one thing that came into being. And what has come into being in him was life itself. And the life was the light given then to all people. He puts the Word of God in its right place as the tool in which God created all things. Where does he get that from? The story of Genesis. Where there's nothing, by the way, in the very beginning, there's nothing, this swirling, whirling nothing of blackness, and darkness. 
of which you can see in Genesis chapter 1, the first page, that the Holy Spirit is hovering over that nothing, and then something happens. God begins to speak. And it's his words that have such authority, such power to create, things start obeying and doing exactly what he says, and not only do they start creating, what they create is good. In fact, it's so good when he's done, it's very good. Nothing but good. This is the Word of God. The creating tool that God uses is His Word. And who is that Word? That Word is Jesus. Nothing then, he says, did not come through Him. All the creative energy you can imagine God having radiates out only through Jesus. Let there be light, and that is Him. In other words, there's no place in all of creation that Christ is not. There's no place in all of time, in all of creation, that God's presence and authority is not there. There's no event he's ever not allowed to show the full weight of his love and his mercy and his grace. There's nowhere we can go where we can hide from him. All things are made through him and in him, and all of life owes its existence to him. He then, it says, is the light that is in all of us. The light of Christ is that animating spirit that wakes us up in the morning, that gets us to, to, to love, to, to have life. It's that, it's that glow that you do see in a baby when that child is born and you stare into its eyes and they're just alive. What is that? That's the light of life. And where does that light of life come from? Fully and only through Christ. He is the light of life then that is in all people. Christ gives life. He gives light. And it says he's the animating spirit that radiates in all of us. And friends, if there was ever a time when we needed some unity, if there was ever a time when we needed some measure of hope, in the world, I think that's a good place to start. That the light of life radiates from Christ and is the light of all mankind, womankind too, all of us. There's a, a, an identity, a meaning, and a great purpose within all of us that we all have received that great light. He is the source of it. Jesus is life, the way, the truth, and the life. So what happens? Why then, if we all have received this light and this life, why is it so hard sometimes? Because that light in our hearts can be corrupted. In Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 20 to 23, it says that, you know, everything we need to know to know that God is out there is right in front of us. We just look out and see that light and life in creation, it's very easy to see God placed it there. But, he says, our foolish minds didn't want to give him thanks, and we started to fall away. And our foolish minds, it said, then became darkened in our thinking, and we started to accept something less than a God who created, and instead started to worship that which was created. And we lose sight of who he is. 
This darkness overcomes our heart. This darkness can overcome our minds. And it says senseless minds then were darkened. But that's not the end of our story. You see, as, as someone who knows the power of Christ's love to open up a heart, that's just my testimony. One of the things that I find so helpful as I talk about the reality of God and Jesus and his love is that I know that I'm never trying to convince you of something that is not in you already. Like, I'm not trying to force a fa- an identity on you that is not already there. In fact, when I'm talking to friends and, you know, they're, they're struggling and they're doubting and they're not sure, or even if they're, like I was, very skeptical, you know, I'm never unnerved because I don't feel like I'm trying to push something on them that's not already there. What I'm trying to do is listen for that spark of life and try to connect to that. Where does that come from? And then to allow the light of Christ to come in and remember, remind who they truly are. You see, this is why we have this assurance in the fifth verse that this light, the light of Christ, shines in the darkness. And the darkness then cannot overcome, cannot comprehend it. You know, my, my prayer this morning as we lit the first Advent candle, and we'll, we'll make our way around that over the next couple of weeks, is that these kind of things, these special lightings of candles and things, it's not just something we do at church because it's, oh, it's the season, and well, you know, we light the candle. My hope and prayer is that as we light each candle each week, that something would come alive fresh in my heart and in yours as we begin to fully appreciate this Christmas story of Jesus God himself, the Emmanuel, coming to dwell among us. Something special would happen in our hearts that would ignite our hearts to the reality of God's love in Christ. This is why we're so obsessed, I think, about putting lights up at Christmas time. I don't know if how many of you have your houses decorated. Um, I love, you know, even being here fresh this year. You know, we just moved here, of course, in the summer. And so driving through the towns, Western Springs, Hinsdale looks beautiful. A couple of times I've left here late at night and I've driven through the town and, you know, it's very quiet. All the commuters are home. But it's just this glow of light all over the trees. My, my one son said, it's almost like you can't see the trees anymore. It's just a, a blanket of light everywhere. It's beautiful. I'm overwhelmed by it. It's really, really pretty. Um, but some of you who have probably lived here a long time, you're like, oh, yeah, there's the lights. I'm up every year. You know? And maybe you're like that with your own home lights. Oh, we put up the lights. We put them up every year. But I think the reason that we're obsessed with putting up lights at Christmas time is because whether we know it or not, whether we embrace it or not, the light of Christ is burning fresh in our hearts at this time. The light shines in the darkness, it says, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Some translations say it cannot even comprehend it. What he's referring to here is a spiritual darkness, a spiritual darkness. Maybe even call it a spiritual disorientation. We can lose our way when we're in the dark. We don't have the headlights on. We're trying to drive down a dark street. We can lose our way. Darkness is also desolate or disconnecting. It's lonely in the dark. And when we live in that spiritual darkness, we can feel empty inside. We can be bright on the outside, but disoriented, desolate, empty, lonely. This is why the promise of God is there. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we will have fellowship, friendship with one another. 
My friends, let me remind you that darkness, of course, has no power of its own. It's an illusion, really. Darkness has no power, no authority of its own. There's only the absence of light that makes it dark. Darkness in itself has no energy, has no authority, which is why the light of Christ coming into our spiritual darkness, well, the darkness can't comprehend it, and it certainly cannot overcome it. The light shines in the darkness, and we receive this assurance of hope. Later in the chapter, as John continues, he says, the true light, which enlightens then reignites everyone, was, is coming into the world. Or in the parallel gospel, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, it's written, the people who dwell in a darkness have now seen a great light. Friends, I think that sometimes we can misunderstand the momentum of God's love. And I've been, God's been working on me with this too. Because it's easy to think that, well, God has this perfect love and he has this perfect love for me and then I've messed up and then he's like, oh, well, all right, I'll send Jesus. And then because of his forgiveness, then you can know me again, it's all right. As if there's this perfect love that we missed out on and we wrecked it and then Jesus comes to fix it. But I've been really rethinking that as I listen to the scriptures and receive this message that this is not the plan B. Jesus isn't the plan B. There is no plan B. This has been God's plan from the very beginning. He was there at the beginning, the word spoken. He was there with God. He is God. The light of, the light of His light gives life to all of us. And we won't fully know God's love until we know Him as a merciful love. We don't fully understand God's love until we understand it mercifully, as a forgiving love. Not because that's what He has to do, but because God's love is a merciful and forgiving love. And so He sends Jesus, His redeeming love, to come around behind us so that we can be received in Him fresh and have life and have light like we've never seen it before. You cannot fully know God's love until you know His merciful love, until you accept His grace and His forgiveness, because His is a redeeming love. But here's the good news, friends. In the beginning, God always, always has hope for a new beginning. And no matter where you are in your spiritual walk, whether you feel like you're walking in the richness and fullness of the Spirit, or you're here today, you feel dry, empty, disoriented, disconnected. There's always, always hope for a new beginning in Christ Jesus. The Emmanuel, God with us. God always offers hope for a new beginning. What we need to do is accept His love, accept His light, and then we will be truly free to celebrate. I have a prayer that I'm going to put on the screen, and the risk of doing this is it becomes sort of something like, oh, there's words on the screen, we're all going to say them together, we'll just say them together. But my hope and prayer is that as we have this prayer of confession, that it really is something that God uses to ignite to be received in his love, and to walk in the glory of his light in this Christmas season. 
So as I put this, I want us to remember what Jesus promised as we approach the table, that we remember him, that he comes back to us in, in life and flesh as the word made flesh, and we receive him by grace and walk in the newness of life. So are you ready? We put this prayer of confession up, and from our hearts we say together, God of grace and truth, in Jesus Christ you came among us as light shining in darkness. We confess that we have not welcomed the light or trusted the good news to be good. We have closed our eyes to glory in our midst. Forgive our doubts, renew our hope, so that we may receive the fullness of your grace and live in the truth of Christ the Lord. Amen. My friends, I have a good news for you. That is God, he loves the world so dearly that he gave his one and only son that any and all who call on him can be received of forgiveness and eternal life. And now as we approach the table, we're reminded of what Jesus said when we take on the elements that we would remember me.